Thank you, team. And good morning, all you wonderful people. How are you all? Good. I like that. I'm good too. Thank you for asking. It's wonderful to be here. Got to see most of you on the way in. If I missed you, I apologise. I'll try and catch you after. Well, first of all, go the Matildas. <laughs> How good. Uh, if you don't know, that's football. If you know what that is, it's soccer. It's very Australian. And uh, because the Matildas are winning, we'll just call it soccer, uh, which has been awesome. I've enjoyed uh, messaging uh, one of our church members, Sunday, uh, who I don't think uh, has made it today. Uh, it's very sad. I was going to stir him up. But uh, he did make it. He is here. Oh, where's Sunday? <laughs> there you are. Sunday. Oh, man. You know, Sunday, this is the benefit of having a multicultural church. And it's also the personal benefit of having a multicultural family. So, you see, Sunday's from Nigeria, and uh, Nigeria was playing England, and uh, he lived in England for a long time before he now came to live in Australia. And so, England won, and he sends me a message, <laughs> we won, winky face, and uh, England beat Nigeria. So, you still got a chance, my friend, because next is England versus Australia. And so, you can probably do the same thing. You lived in England, now you live in Australia. You're going to win, you're going to make it to the grand finals, my friends. It's going to be good. Oh, how good is that? You know, for me, I, was, I can barrack for the French, because you've done French. I can barrack for Australia, because I live in Australia. I can barrack for England, because my dad's from England, so I'm half England and half Aussie, and that's me. That's right. Yes. Amen. Come on. Matilda's though. Yes? Yes. I would pray, but God doesn't get involved in sports, so it's pointless. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I have a joke for you all this morning. Now, normally I will admit I make jokes about cats because they're demons, um, but then I realise I lose half the congregation. So, <laughs> this morning it's not about the cat, all right? It's a dad joke of the week. <laughs> The other morning, I saw my neighbour talking to her cat. <laughs> it was obvious she thought the cat could understand her. <laughs> when I got home, I told my dog. We laughed a lot. <laughs> uh, it was funny at 1am. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, we, we are working our way through our series, Like Jesus. And, uh, and I'm loving this series. We've got two more to go. We're halfway through. We're at the midpoint. And uh, today is going to be an awesome one. Let me, let me remind you what we're working through. So like Jesus. Uh, number one, first of all, actually, if you're a Christian, uh, I hope this series inspires you to be Christian. I hope it inspires you with who Jesus really is. And uh, maybe the Jesus that you fell in love with, uh, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently, uh, maybe you're still falling in love with him. You're in the honeymoon period. Awesome, God bless you for that period. But uh, maybe, maybe you're not a follower. Well, I also hope that this message inspires you to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus. And uh, if you're not Christian, uh, it's okay. We know we're a little bit weird, but when you fall in love with someone, you get a bit weird. Am I, am I truthful in that statement? I hated puzzles, all right? Hated them. Then I fell in love with Ivana. I all of a sudden loved puzzles. <laughs> I've been married six years. I don't like puzzles anymore. <laughs> Anyways, when you fall in love with someone, you, you fall in love with what they fall in love with. And uh, we love worshipping him. That's why we worship the lamb. We don't put mint jelly, mint jelly on him. All right. It, it, that's what you do with lamb chops. 
uh, Jesus in the Bible is described as the Lamb of God. He's also described as the Lion of God. So it's okay, we didn't check our brains at the door. Uh, we, are, we are real humans. Uh, we're just Christian and we love Jesus. And uh, I hope that uh, I can preach in a way today that inspires you to want Him, to want to know more about Him. So we've done Shine Like Jesus, we've done Judge Like Jesus, and today we're doing Love Like Jesus. Let me pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness, for Your love, for Your grace, and for Your truth. And God, I pray today that we would walk out, set on fire, set apart, Lord God, to do what You've called us to do, to be who You've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Has something that uh, you've said or done, maybe in love, maybe even in good intentions, actually invoked hurt and harm, causing someone to walk away from Jesus? They walk away because they might have been compelled to protect themselves from more hurt, and harm happening. Oh, I hate the statement, oh, I love God, but don't like the church. Well, that hurts me because Jesus loves the church. And you know why? Because the church is full of people and God loves people. He loves us, loves you and I, loves us to bits, can't get enough of us, wants us, wants every single minute of our day, wants our attention, wants the best for us, like he's the weird dad and mom on the sideline at the soccer game, cheering and making a fool of themselves, and the parents like, that's not my parent. I mean, the kids are like, that's not my parent. That's, that's that one's parent. That's our God, loves us, champion us, he wants us. You see, this hurts me, and I hope that my preaching will be a part of changing that changing the way the world views the church or perceives the church. But people sin. People have evil and wicked hearts, desperate to serve oneself. That's the battle that you and I have waging within us. Come on, how many of you I know, like me, we struggle with that, don't we? Every day sometimes, every week maybe, every month, the war that wages between our hearts, our flesh, and our soul. You know, when people have a bad experience in their faith, it leads them to start to do things. They start deconstructing their faith. They start to walk away from the church. Not walking away from God, but walking away from the church. Organized religion and institutional faith is not helpful. Christianity is worrying more about the sins of others than our own sins. Christianity has harmed the world. You know, Australians have actually moved away, uh, recent stats and polls uh, have moved away from the notion that uh, Christianity is too moral, uh, too narrow, uh, or you have to be too good to be a Christian, so, you know, can't be too good, don't want to be that. Well, now, unfortunately, it's not even that. Uh, most Australians believe that Christianity is bad, that it's harmful, that it, that it has done more harm than good. It's bigoted, hateful, and its main influence is negative. This hurts me. And it should hurt me, because I'm a Christian. And it should hurt us who are Christians. But it should drive us to change the narrative. You know, Christians might not have represented Christianity well, but that doesn't mean that Christianity isn't good. Christianity is awesome, because Christianity is being a Christian. 
you know, statements can be made about Christianity, about God, about Jesus, but it doesn't make them true. It just, it, they're just statements. To, to get the truth about something, you've got to go to the source of it. It's like when you pass judgment over someone without knowing someone, well, that's a little unfair on someone. <laughs> it's good to get to know someone before you pass judgment on someone because you just don't know their story. You don't know where they've been, where they've come from, what they've gone through, what they're going through, or what they think they're going to go through. You know, the most powerful way to ascertain the truth about something is to go to the source. And today, our source is this, the Bible. Anything about the Bible? Bible, uh, written by a whole bunch of people who either heard from God or saw God, lived with Jesus, experienced Him. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John wrote the Gospels. Luke, a doctor, heard about Jesus, revolutionized by his teachings, gave up his practice, went around and got first-hand accounts of people that had walked with Jesus and chose to live the rest of his life as a follower of Jesus. Wrote Luke, wrote Acts, was a church planter. Love that. Think about Matthew, tax collector. Someone who had, who had turned on his national religion, had, had turned on his own people, so inspired by the encounter that he had with Jesus, changed his life forever, revolutionized him, wrote the gospel of Matthew. To people like, you know, a, a, a leader of leaders, a Pharisee of Pharisees like Paul, writing almost most of the New Testament letters to the churches, not only just letters to those churches, but walking around with another guy who had given up a whole lot, planting churches, starting these gatherings of people, all because of his encounter with Jesus. To, to people like James, who wrote the, the, the letter from James, who was Jesus' little brother, you think about that for a moment, if your older brother starts claiming to be Jesus and doing some pretty awesome things, you'd probably question him too. Well, James did. It's not unusual to question someone who thinks they're God. That's usual. Well, James did that. But when he saw him rise from the dead, resurrected, alive, they touched him, they ate with him, they met him, they saw him, and not just a few of them, hundreds upon hundreds of them. All of these people were so convinced that Jesus Christ raised from the dead that they were willing to write the scriptures, they were willing to share his story, they were willing, at no matter the cost, even to their own physical detriment, many of them, dying because what they believed in, they truly saw Jesus, they believed that he was really real and that he was worth dying for. That he was worth dying for, not just because he was worth dying for, but because the message that Jesus taught was worth living for. That's what culminates to the Bible. And that's what you and I have. You know, this book has been, has been put together for us, for you and I, the written word of God. First-hand accounts, stories from real people, real-life stories, passed on throughout the times, protected, fought for, defended, so that you and I would have the privilege and the ability to just open it and read it and to get to know Jesus. And today, we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus and His teachings that I'm convinced would be good for anyone, not just a Christian, but even if you're an unbeliever. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, what I'm going to preach today to love like Jesus, if you implement the principles, everyone around you is going to thank you. 
because you're going to become a more loving person. Love like Jesus. Why, why like Jesus? Well, so that the world will know that God sent him and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Why live like Jesus? Why this series? Well, I want to help you fall in love again with Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe you've fallen out of love with Jesus. Maybe you're even here in the room today and you're not sure that you love Jesus anymore. I hope that my preaching today and over this series that you can fall in love again with Jesus or if you've never fallen in love with Him, that you might fall in love with Him today. You know, Jesus is the best thing ever, forever. What is Christianity? What do you say as a Christian? I think too many think it's just a set of guidelines that we have to live in in order to get to heaven so that we don't have to go to hell. To be Christian, well, you have to go to church. You know, but I'm not sure if I want to be Christian Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'll be Christian on Sunday. I'll be Christian in the workplace if, if, if everyone's okay with me being Christian in the workplace. I'll even, I'll even tell people I'm Christian as long as they're okay with that. I, I, I mean, I'll be Christian at home. I'll, I'll tell my family I'm Christian, but only if they, only if they believe that I'm Christian, or if they, only if they let me be Christian. You know, Pastor Joe, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I tell everyone I'm a Christian. But am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? What would Jesus do? What about this? How, how did Jesus behave? He is the way the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the best way to live. He is the best way to live forever. Love like Jesus. All right, today we are going to go through a story from the Bible. It's the book of John, John chapter 8, and uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite texts, whatever you want to call it. It is awesome. It's John chapter 8, and it's entitled in my Bible, A Woman Caught in Adultery. We're going to read it together. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, Two-part slides, uh, verse 1 through to 11. Let's read it together. A woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And he was speaking. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again. All right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. 
Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Wow. What a story. I mean, talk about a moment, eh? Talk, talk about a moment. Someone caught in the act of adultery. So caught in the act. Uh, can't plead not guilty. No win scenario here. Someone is caught in the act of adultery. And uh, let, me set the, let me set the scene for this moment, but let me set the context of the story too. Because at the start of this passage, it says that uh, Jesus had gone to the Mount of Olives and he'd returned early the next morning. He's back again at the temple. Just one chapter back, chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, it sets this story up really well. Because Jesus has been in this very temple and he's been preaching awesome truths. He's been preaching a new way to live, the best way to live. And it is stirring up the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They do not like it. The pastors of the day, they had sent temple guards to arrest him. And I I love this. The temple guards were so confounded by what Jesus was saying that they couldn't arrest him. They go back empty-handed. back, to, And the Pharisees are like, didn't you arrest him? They're like, nah, we haven't heard anyone speak like this guy speaks. Now, that is a slap in the face to a Pharisee. Legit. Pastor of the day, they, they were the ones that preached the word. They were the ones that taught the law of God. And their temple guards, their temple guards who are with them, all the time, just said to them, oh, no one else preaches like this guy. <laughs> Haven't heard anyone preach like this guy. This guy is unbelievable. You guys should come and, come and hear him. Check him out. It is so good. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were meant to arrest him. But they didn't. And it's not just because they loved what he was saying, but because all the people around him also loved what Jesus was saying. They're like, yeah, I don't know if we really want to arrest this guy because there's a few more of them than us right now. And so what do they do? They, they do the only thing they can do. They leave. And I love that. But I love that Jesus then, he's caused this whole big emotion. So he goes away to the Mount of Olives, probably hanging out with the disciples, you know, a bit of damper, bonfire, a bit of olive juice or something. I don't know, whatever. And uh, olive butter maybe on the damper. Praying, definitely praying. And he comes back to the very place that they were trying to arrest him. It's awesome. And then what does he do? He doesn't even just get straight into it. He takes a moment to sit down. I love that. Like, he is settling in. He, he is not being pushed around here. He's like, no, I'm here with a purpose, and I want to preach to the people because what I've got to say is good, and they need it, and they actually want it. They're just not sure about it yet because it's so messing up with what they've been imposed on by so many Pharisees over the generations. So he sits down, a crowd gathers, and then he begins to teach them. Just starts teaching them the same stuff. Teaching them a new way to live, a new commandment. Well, then the story really takes a massive leap. Enter woman caught in adultery and a whole bunch of Pharisees and temple guard. This woman gets thrown down at the feet of Jesus and they front him up and they're like, hey Jesus, we've got one for you. Caught, she was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law says to stone her. What do you say? Now, that's a bit of a catch-22. Not for Jesus, but for most people, that'd be a bit of a catch-22 because he is teaching the law. Now, Jesus is teaching it the right way and he's teaching it the best way and the best parts of it and all of it on how to actually do it because he came to fulfill that law. What does Jesus do? 
Nothing. Doesn't respond. <laughs> stoops down. I mean, when someone's asking you a question and they stoop down and start drawing in the dirt, what would that do to you? <laughs> Just think about that. Stoops down and starts drawing in the dirt. That's like, it's brilliant. I love it. Now, was he drawing? I don't know. He was doing something in the dirt. But he stoops down. And so they're pressing him, pressing him, pressing him. He stands up. All right. All right. And then makes a statement. And I love this statement. And there's a lot in this statement. We're going to unpack it together and we're going to get into it a little bit today. Get it all over us, the word of God this morning. He makes this statement. The one of you, all right, the one of you who has never sinned can cast the first stone. And then he does something even more powerful. He sits back down and starts playing in the dirt again. I mean, I don't know what was in the dirt. Maybe a stone. Who knows? You think about this. The one of you who has never sinned can cast the first stone. Now, there's a lot going on in this. Personally, I believe that Jesus stooped down the first time to find the will of the Father. Because you've got to understand, if you're Jesus in the story, and a woman has just been thrown at your feet who's been caught in the act of adultery, and by the way, they don't even care about what she's done. It says they were just trying to trap Jesus. So they were using her to try and get to Jesus. Now, if that doesn't make you a little bit angry, well, it made Jesus angry. I'm sure of it. Because the guy had emotion. Because emotions are a part of our being. They're gifts of God. Gifts from God made in His image. Emotions are good because they're alarm bells. Or they help us feel. They help us to enjoy the pleasures of life. Without emotion, can you imagine? Well, Jesus had emotion. One time, He was so angry premeditated, went away, made a whip, came back the next day into his temple. Other times, frustrated, still you don't get it, boys. Come on, i got to go to the cross, i got to die, but it's okay, I'm going to rise again. Like, they just weren't understanding it. We see frustration, we see sadness, we see Jesus crying. The guy had emotion. I would have been angry in this moment. But he stoops down, doesn't react. He responds. I believe that he was finding the will of the Father. Father, how do, I, how do I engage in this moment? You see, because Jesus is setting up a major win here. Not just for the woman, but for the people who are accusing her and for the whole crowd. It's awesome. It's a win, win, win. Only Jesus can do that. It's so good. The one of you who has never sinned can throw the first stone. You know, we don't actually get told, even at the end of the story, and never again, about this woman. We don't get told what, what her story was. Because Jesus didn't ask her. We don't, we don't know how she ended up in this situation. Maybe it was her career. Maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe, maybe she had been imposed upon. Maybe by choice. Maybe she wasn't married. She was with a married man. Maybe she was married, which is someone else. It doesn't know. We don't know, but it doesn't matter. Because we should not pass judgment on the people around us. All right. Let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. They weren't expecting that. It's brilliant. 
Because it then says that they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. You know, they'd come really strongly in accusation and they were now walking away in self-judgment. What they had come and done to her, they were now doing to themselves and that wasn't even the goal of Jesus. He gave them an opportunity to even themselves get out of this. You know, remember, with the same measure that we judge, we will be judged. And they were using the law. So Jesus did something and used the law. The Bible says in the book of Numbers, one of the books in the Old Testament, that around this very scenario, that if a, if a woman is caught in the act of adultery, or, or even if the, the husband wants to try and say that his wife has been unfaithful, then they're to bring them before the priests, but they also ha- he also is tested. The husband gets tested also. So, the, the priest wouldn't just go, oh, okay, so that's your side of the story. Yep, no problem. No, 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 no. They would then find out her side of the story. They would test the husband and his faithfulness as well. And that's what Jesus does to the crowd here in this moment who have brought this woman. See, they're claiming her unfaithfulness. They're claiming that she's an adulterer. So what does he do? Using the law, because what did they say? The law says, the law of Moses says, that we have to stone her. Well, what do you say? Well, Jesus says, well, you want to use the law? That's okay. I'll use the law too. The law actually says that if you want to judge her, then we also have to test you and judge you. And so in that moment, he brings it around to what they actually were trying to use, and he uses it to respond to this situation. They slipped away upon hearing this, one by one, beginning with the oldest. You know, when he stooped down the second time, I love that, because he didn't shame them. He wasn't watching their response. Now, they could have chosen in that moment to do two things. They could have stayed. They could have engaged with Jesus. Like a response like that, wow. You would hope that it would cause you to go, oh, Jesus, forgive me. Yeah, I'm a sinner. How dare I judge this person? Just look at my life. And it says that they began to walk away one by one, starting with the oldest because The older we get, the more we do, the more we sin, the more we accumulate. And so they recognize, well, well, I can't throw a stone. Look at what I've done. And one by one, you know, I can imagine that the maybe the 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 zealous ones were still there at the end and they they realize, oh, run it out. Only a few of us left. Oh, maybe I'll go too, and I'll just say, Oh, I just thought everyone was leaving. You know, I was just that's why I was leaving, you know. I don't know, we don't know. But I love that he didn't shame them, doesn't even look at them. He hides his face from them, so not to shame them. You see, in that moment, he is exampling not just love over this woman, but love over her accusers. And I love that there's a massive crowd around him in this moment watching this, because he's also teaching a way to live. He is teaching a way to love no matter what. So much grace, so much patience, such depth of love 
in this moment. God is love and he loves everyone. He loves the accused and the accuser. This is the real Jesus. In this moment, Jesus is portraying the heart of the Father to bring all humanity, all humanity to repentance, to reconcile man back to God. Finally, he turns to the woman. Where are they? Where are they? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. She looks at him. No, they didn't. I mean, you think about that moment for her. She's been publicly humiliated, publicly shamed. And all of those that had brought her to the feet of Jesus were now no longer there. That's incredible. And Jesus doubles down and makes a statement, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, he doesn't, he doesn't just tell her, well, I don't judge you. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know. You know, I don't judge you either. I don't condemn you. No, he follows a full dose of grace with a full dose of truth. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus didn't want to just love her for that moment. He wanted to love her, to love her life, to encourage her, hey, that's, that's not the best way to live. Don't do that anymore. Go. I don't judge you. Just go and don't do it anymore. A couple of final thoughts for me to pull out of this story today. You know, there was one who was there who had never sinned. And he chose not to throw a stone. In his statement that allowed the accusers an opportunity to come into relationship with him, stooping down to not shame them, to not judge them, look at them in the face, to make them comfortable, to help them, they could have stayed. But they walked away. The one and the only one who could have thrown a stone chose not to because Jesus had never sinned. In his response, in his rebuttal, he makes an incredible declaration to the woman, to the Pharisees, to the crowd, and today to you and I. He was the only one that could have and he chose not to invoke the response of the law onto this woman, but of grace followed with truth. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I love that. He just loved her, covered her. Love that covers a multitude of sins. Full forgiveness, full freedom from the bondage of sin. Full freedom from the guilt, the shame, the hurt, the pain, the suffering. You know, sometimes I think it, it's even more powerful, not when we get thrown before Jesus, but when we throw ourselves before him. The devil's really good at reminding us of what we've done. He's a pro at it. Loves to do it. He is also called an accuser, the accuser, the accuser of us, you and I, every day waltzes on into the very throne of God. But I love that there's, there's just no, there's no correlation between our enemy and God, our enemy, not God's enemy. 
And Jesus, our defender, sits there every day, hearing it, but not accepting it because he's covered us. His love has covered a multitude of sins. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, this is a statement about love written by Peter. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. This story, representing the heart of the Father, shows us what God thinks of us, what God thinks of you and I. He doesn't get consumed and overwhelmed and worried by what we do or what we've done, because love covers a multitude of sins. He gives a full dose to you and I also of grace and truth. Love doesn't love the sin, but Jesus covered her. He defended her. He protected her. But then he told her to not keep doing what she'd been doing. It wasn't good for her. She loved him. And he loved her so much. Loved her, loved her future, wanted the best for her. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You know, I, I recognize that that is evident in my life. The, the more I sin, the older I get, the more I make mistakes, the more I recognize the grace of God, overbounding, overwhelming, separating us from our sins, separating us from the punishment. The Bible says from the, from the east to the west, as far as that is, separates us from that. I love how it makes me feel. Does anyone else feel like that? That where we sin, all the more grace abounds and it just hits you and it's like, man, he loves me still? He loves me wow, he loves me what? He wants to use me what? He can, he does use me? Like, that's awesome. What that means for me, and I hope it can mean something to you. You ever ask yourself, how does God love me? Well, He does. A lot. An incredible amount. And He really loves you. Really, really loves you. And He really, really wants you. And He really, really wants to use you. Doesn't want anything in return, but He does want all of you. Because He loves you. And He wants you to respond in that love. The Bible gives us a definition of love and what love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As a common passage, you've probably heard it at a wedding that love is, and it lists off a whole bunch of things that love is. I want to show you a way to read this on screen. And uh, I've taken the word love out so that you can replace it with your name. Love is patient. Joe. Is patient. I am patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You know, we can not only place our name in that line, but we can also place the church 
in that line because we are the church and we need to be the church. Emerge Church is patient, kind, not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Emerge Church is humble, not irritable and forgives and forgets. Emerge Church rejoices over justice and is sad over injustice. Emerge Church never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and loves no matter the cost. Love like Jesus. Love is, come on, let me make some Christian statements for you this morning right now. God is love. And the greatest act of love is to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's what Jesus did because he chooses to call you and I friends. And he laid down his life for you and I to example to us that this is how he wants us to live to the world around us, that we would lay down our life, that we would live as a living sacrifice, that we would live not selfish, but selfless, serving the people around us to love them. You know, God set in motion right from the very first sin, right from the very first mistake that was made, the greatest story of love that would ever be told, sending his one and only son to redeem us, to restore us. His redemption sets in motion the beginning of our restoration. We're not made perfect straight away, but we become like Christ as we imitate him as we allow the truth of the word to wash over our mind, to renew us, to renew the way we live so that we can live like Jesus. God loved us. It's the purpose of the cross. Love. Full redemption to enable restoration. We are to imitate this love. Can I get the band to come back, please? The Bible gives us the concepts of love that Jesus told us. I've got a list for us. Love one another. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. And love your enemies. You know, we don't have to worry about winning a victory over humans. Because the only victory that we need to, to win is over the enemy, the devil. A victory in someone's life would be salvation. That's the goal. That's the victory. Love one another, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, love your enemies. These were the statements made by Jesus of how he wants us to love the world around us. You know, I hope some things that I've shared today out of this story have maybe stirred you. Maybe they've opened up your eyes to view Jesus in a different light. Maybe they've opened up your eyes to someone that you need to show the love of Jesus to maybe someone you haven't been showing the love of Jesus to, someone maybe even being impressed upon your heart right now, someone coming to mind. Maybe a better understanding of grace this morning. Maybe something to change in your life. Or simply just that person to reach out to. You know, if you haven't been loving the people around you like this, it's time to change. It's time to implement the principles of Christ. Love like Jesus and see what happens when you do. Love that relationship that is broken down and see what might happen. Love that person in the workplace and just see what it unlocks. Love your neighbor. Love the world around you and just see what doors could open up. Love like Jesus. You have no idea what could happen. As you example Jesus, as you imitate Him to the world around you, 
just like the crowds flocked to Jesus. There is no telling what could happen in your story with your ministry gift, with the person that God has made you to be. There is no telling what could happen when you begin to engage in life the way Jesus wants us to and love the human being that's standing right there in front of you or choosing not to pass someone by who you can clearly see needs to be loved. Love like Jesus. Love one another. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love the world around you. Love your enemies. Because as you exhibit love into these scenarios into these people's lives, I can promise you that the story will begin to change because the best is yet to come. Let your children know love. Love your children. Love your spouse. Love your family. Love your neighbor. Love like Jesus. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet this morning as I bring our time together to a close. See what your day feels like when you implement the principles of Jesus. Love like Jesus. I can promise you, you'll feel better. You'll enjoy your day more. You'll experience the goodness of God flowing through you. An encounter with someone You have no idea what it could cause or what it could unlock. As you reach out to the person standing right in front of you. You know, if you're not a Christian in the room, I think if you applied these principles into your life, you'd just be a better person. The principles of Christ are not just for Christians. The principles of Christ are for humanity. Because He wants humanity. He wants the best for human beings. And if you implemented these you would be a better person. You would like you more. You would be happy with you more. And the people around you would be happier with the happier you because of what you've been doing for the people around you. And that's the beautiful and powerful truth of Jesus. What He does to change us. It's not just His teachings that are good for us though, church. It's it's Him that's good for us. It is Him. Relationship with Him. He loves you and He wants you and He He's got the best for you, my friend.